This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today I'm joined by the author of The Most Amazing Department Store, and it's really the most amazing book. And the author is Sharon Nice Arvis. And it's really thrilling for me to sit down with this three-time author now, as I sort of feel that I've watched her evolve from her first book, which was a young adult fiction, to her second book, Get Up, which was more of a self-help motivational book, to this latest and most ambitious work to date, the very I have to say yummy, juicy, but also very emotionally laden, the most amazing (laughs) department store. I know that sounds like such a juxtaposition of yummy and fun. And yet emotionally, there are some themes that are very um, serious and very intense. And it all works is the most important point. I will say that I cried at the end of the book, not only in the final pages, but even in the acknowledgments, which I found deeply touching because I know Sharon and I know a lot of the players. So it really resonated and it made me feel very proud of her. And I'm so excited to sit down with her today and talk about the book, how it all evolved, how it all came to life. Before we meet her, let me just tell you a little bit more about Sharon Nisarvis. So Sharon began her writing career working as a copywriter, which is interesting, writing ad copy. And then after having children, she left the advertising world and began to write at her local coffee shop where she wrote her debut novel, Me and My So-Called Friends. Sharon's love for writing young adult continued with her second book, Get Up, which contains a collection of meaningful short stories, functional exercises, and inspirational quotes from mentors. Sharon has written for several online magazines. She's been featured in the Toronto Star, and she also writes blogs on her website about super cool people, insanely easy recipes, and what she thinks the world should know. And it's really well done, I have to say, the blog. Sharon's daughter and a friend discovered their great-grandmothers actually worked together at Simpson's department store in Montreal in the 1950s. An image that Sharon couldn't get out of her mind, which led her to write The Most Amazing Department Store. When Sharon isn't tip-tapping away at her laptop, she loves to spend time with people that matter. Married to Gordy Arbus since 1996, they created three wonderful human beings, and that's very true. Josh, Adam, and Liv, they all live in Toronto. Sharon Nice Arbus, welcome back to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you, Judy. It is a delight to be here again. Always love just sitting down and talking with you and forget the camera's on. It's great. <laughs> it's true. And in any way, wherever it is in a coffee shop or here on camera or in person, on the street. you have a book launch night, which I hope to be at and I'm working on it. So very, very exciting. So congratulations on the book launch. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. I really feel that you've turned into a full-fledged novel writer with this book. This felt like a huge quantum leap in your life and career. So again, congratulations. I can't wait to dive into it. And I just want to say, going back to the bio, you began your writing career as a copywriter for an ad agency. And after having children, you began to write at your local coffee shop when you wrote your first book which is pretty incredible. And here you are today. Can you believe the trajectory that you've taken? It's pretty awesome. No, but you know what's amazing? Thank you. I really appreciate that. I discovered the love of sitting down in a coffee shop with an empty journal or 
laptop when I was backpacking through Europe when I was 19, 20 years old. And I remember after my trip, just I'm just sick of museums. I just need to sit down and write. And that feeling of just a pure bliss. And it came back to me when I was years later, sitting down at a coffee shop and where have I felt this happiness before? Oh, right. When I was backpacking through Europe when I was 19. So I've come full circle and I just really enjoy that time. I enjoy the process and it's a long process. It doesn't take a couple of weeks. Writing a first draft usually takes about nine months. And you do love writing. And it's interesting because a lot of people would not describe loving the process. They love having written. They love having finished. But you actually love the writing process. What is it that you love about writing? Well, I love the first draft because the first draft you write with a door closed, so to speak, (laughs) which means there are no rules. It's for you only. And you can write just anything just to get it out. It's a wonderful, therapeutic, liberating experience. And then once you have that first draft, then you go back and then you polish it. People say it's much easier to go back and work on a first draft than work on a blank page. So the process of going back and polishing and moving things around, it's like I'm sculpting, I'm making art. And to me, that process is so much fun. Although I have to say, it's not always easy. And there are times when I have writer's block, just like everybody else. And then when I'm there for too long, even over three hours, well, usually three hours is my limit. And I start typing and like, Sharon, you're not making any sense. Step away from the laptop, get up, get out, (laughs) close my laptop. I go for a walk and let it just sink in. And then it comes out and the block breaks freeze. Fascinating experience. That's so cool. I love that part of your inspiration for the book came when your daughter and a friend of your daughter's discovered that their great grandmothers worked together. Originally, when I started reading the book, until I read this information, I thought you were talking about Ogilvy's. I didn't know you were talking about Simpsons in Montreal, but I really thought you were talking about Ogilvy's. And as I said, you were actually talking about Simpsons, which is also wonderful in its glory days. And you were fascinated by that coincidence. So you started writing this book. Can you tell us more about your brainchild and how you came up with the name Sunderland. <laughs> Sunderland. Or, yeah. So when my daughter came home from visiting a friend, it's like the world stopped. And she's just basically, as I said, casually, oh, yeah, I was at the Shabbat table and the grandmother told me that my great grandmother and my friend's great grandmother worked together. And my face, what? <laughs> what did you say? Like, the world stopped. My stomach flipped. <laughs> and I asked her to repeat it. What, what did you say? What? How? What? And then I was in a trance for weeks. I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was ridiculous. So then I was with a friend and thinking maybe, you know, maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe I'm, you know, I get too excited over these things, that I, you know, making a mountain of a molehill. So I said to my friend, Connie, I said, Connie, am I overreacting of this coincidence? And she said, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> and she, I said, yeah, it is fantastic. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do with this. I was so excited. I, I got to write this. So that's how this began. And then how I got Sunderland's was the S from Simpsons. Nice. So that's the S. And then my dad owned a chain of drugs world called Cumberland. 
So then I put the S and the Underland, and I decided to put them together to honor him. So Sunderland. That's and it was, it's a fictional department store. That's but wonderful. But mentioning of old movies, that also, like I was thinking of Simpsons, but also in the back of my mind, I was thinking of old movies because in the 90s, I don't know if you remember this, I was living in Montreal at the time in the early 90s. MAC Cosmetics was the newest the hippest thing in the world. So my girlfriend and I, every Saturday, we used to walk downtown St. Catherine Street mm. and we used to go to Ogilvy's and they had a Mac store right out front and the lineup was insane. And people would wait for this one guy who was dressed black head to toe and people would wait for him to put a bone eyeshadow. It was like, <laughs> not, I even watched what he was putting on and they would wait for him and they would, he would put this eyeshadow on them and he'd be like, next, next. And I had that vision <gasps> waiting for that attention. Oh, wow. That's like the and character Vivian. Vivian oh. was like, yeah. And that was like my Vivian. Like, I just want to meet her. I want her to put lipstick on me. I want to talk to her. She's like almost like an influencer from the 50s. Influencers weren't even a thing back then. But that was the image I saw from the Mac guy. So that's an inspiration. That's so cool. And, and, and I love in the book the way you've interwoven the two stories of uh, Vivian and Lily with two L's and how you've interwoven those two stories. And there's so many wonderful themes in the book about friendship. And there's some more serious themes in the book like anti-Semitism, which I want to stop for a second just to say that I'm sure you weren't, you didn't know two years ago or three years ago when you started writing this book that we would be faced with Yes. Probably the greatest anti-Semitism we've ever known since the Holocaust. What was that like for you when your book is coming out and it literally coincides with probably one of the darkest times and the scariest times really in our history? What did you feel? It's almost like you sensed two years ago, or I don't know. I mean, the theme is so, every time I read about the anti-Semitic slurs and moments that the characters underwent in the book, I sort of felt it in a very deep way. And then this all happened. What were your thoughts when October 7th happened and coinciding with the, with the publishing a and the whole, release of your book? A whole bunch of emotions. So you published a book before. So you know that I was done my edits in June and the world was pretty good by then, mm-hmm. so to speak. You know, the ball was rolling and the snowball was becoming a snowball, you know, bit by bit. And the cover was chosen and this was chosen. And then by September, like, yeah, this is the date. It's on pre-order for Amazon. Let's go. And then October 7th happened. And what do I do? But you know where my mind went? My mind went to no one is going to stop me from celebrating this milestone. No one's going to stop me from the hard work that I've done. It's an important piece. It's timely. I had to move forward. I think that historical fiction is, especially this type of historical fiction, is important for people to read. And it's also a little entertaining. So it's a nice mixture. You know, it was difficult, but I didn't want anyone to stop me from doing this. So it's almost, and I don't know if I can compare this, during the war, people still got married, people still had babies, people still celebrated. So I want to continue. 
So smart. And I so agree. You know, that's my whole thing that we have to keep celebrating milestones and birthdays and anniversaries and weddings and all of these things. And life has to go, exactly. life has to go on. And yeah, uh, life has to go on. timing has been so uncanny. And yet in a way it makes you realize that it's like, you know, the years between 1933 and 1948 with Mackenzie King and the book that emanated from that period, none is too many, that this is still going on. I mean, this is going on in a much more dramatic way, but you touched on some very, very important themes. And what's also interesting in you've touched on this as well, is that it is entertaining. The story, the friendship, the whole world of the department store, which I want to get to in a minute, is entertaining and fun. And these characters are really so three-dimensional, like this Vivian. And I wanted to ask you, are you Vivian? Is there part of you that's Lily or is it all just fictional? But I felt like there was a lot of Vivian in you. Is that true? You no, know, it's interesting. I am not a fashionista at all, <laughs> period. Like I'm really not, um, but I'm watching people who are. So there's a little bit in every writer is a little bit of Vivian in me. I'm a little bit of Vivian. I'm a little bit of Lily. I'm a little bit of the mother Miriam. <laughs> yes. I'm a little bit of, I think almost every character, mm-hmm. a little bit, a little sprinkle of Sharon and people who know me really well will recognize that. Yes. Yes. It's just the characters are so well delineated. Like I wanted to be friends with Vivian and Lily. Like they just were two great, great people. Also the world that you conjured up at the department store was so vivid and richly evocative. And I wonder, did you spend a lot of time at Simpsons and Ogilvy's and maybe the Eaton Center? I don't know where, just soaking up the vibe. Because I felt that you got the sights and the sounds and even the scents if you will, the smells of the department store that just felt very vivid. And I'm wondering, did you hang out a lot and do research with a notebook? Well, believe it or not, I did most of this research during COVID. So when people were baking sourdough bread, I was on the internet looking up, how do people remove makeup in 1945? (laughs) What's a Gibson role? And every hit songs. And I was just on my laptop looking, just completely immersing myself in that era, watching movies. There's also great footage of people shopping in a department store of the 1950s. So I watched those movies, but I also love visiting department store period. To me, it's quite soothing. I'm not a shopaholic. I just love being around a mall. I love being around beautiful things and lighting and packaging and the smell and and the attention and the camaraderie. I just love that life or I love that atmosphere. Because I'm so familiar with it, I'm able to bring it into my writing. That's so incredible. I also loved that you really explained in such a clear way that I thought that you must have been there doing it, what it was like to clean that 10 foot nail polish shelf that I think you once did do. And I'm wondering, was that in a department store or in another kind of store? Because it was very evocative and descriptive. I believed it when those new employees had to go down to the basement of the store of Sunderland and they had to do sort of that intern type work, leaning and sorting through shoe boxes and all of this sort of stuff. Did you actually do that in your life? I sure did. And I'll never forget it. And I'm so glad and I'm so honored that I was able to bring that to the book. So my first week, my boss said to me, and it wasn't in the basement, but I added a basement to get some more drama to it. <laughs> so it was my first week as working as a cosmetician in a drugstore. And my boss said to me, Sharon, in French, of course, <laughs> like, nettoyer, tout ça. And I looked at it. I was 18 years old going, what? <laughs> 
You're kidding me. <laughs> and I didn't complain. I said, okay. She said, stop between 12 and, t- 12 and 2 for the lunch break because we were downtown. I did. And one by one, wipe, smear, spritz, do like back and forth. I had a great thing going. Took me a full week to do every nail polish shelf, every nail polish bottle. And I was actually pretty impressed with myself. I was like, wow, look what I did. It was <laughs> gleaming afterwards. And I remember that when I was 18. That was a few years ago. Wow. That's, that's so great. There's parts of the book that you didn't change. I love the fact that you kept the name of Beauties, the famous Montreal breakfast place. And what has Beauties said about all of this? Does Beauties have a copy of your book? Not yet. So I'm actually, I'm in touch with Alana, who's the granddaughter of the owner. And we're definitely in conversation. She ordered a copy. I mean, I mentioned Beauties, oh, about 20 yes. times. Because it's such an establishment. You're from Montreal, Judy, right? I am. I am. And, and I so I know Beauties and I love those scenes where they used to go every Wednesday. Lily and Vivian would go as part yeah. of the research for Sunderland. And they would love how you came up with that name. That's very cool. And I could just picture the locks and the cream <laughs> cheese and the bagels and that whole vibe in there. And it's such a Montreal institution. And I love that they went 30 years later for that meeting. Yeah. I don't want to give it all away. That scene. That meeting that didn't end so well, but so, so fantastic. So that is really great. I touched on this earlier, but this is probably the most intense book you've ever written. As I said, your first was a young adult novel. Your second was more of a self-help book filled with great advice for people. This is really a serious adult novel. What did you do to prepare for writing this? Like, did you have to take a novel writing course? And was this the hardest book you've ever had to write? So before you tell us about the regular process of writing, what was the process for this book in particular like? Okay, so I did not take a writing course. I just continued writing because I've been writing since like I was a copywriter. So I just keep pushing myself. I'm one of those people who I want to keep being better, want to be a better mom, want to be a better friend, want to be a better sister, wife. I'm just always trying to evolve. So I really liked this challenge of going somewhere I've never been before. I was very lucky. I had a fantastic editor. So as most novelists will tell you, your first draft or your first version of your book is not what you're holding in your hands right now. My book was actually quite different. Really? And so Rebecca read it. She said, okay, I like this and this and this. I don't like this and this and this. And that meant that I had to basically take away half of the book. My face fell when she told me this. Okay. What did you take away? I'm dying to know. (laughs) Well, hold on. So then <laughs> is that for the green room conversation? Possibly, yeah, because that could be another book that could be coming up soon. So I don't want to give that away. But oh. then she said, We're on a deadline. Okay. You have five weeks. Bye bye. Mm. Here's an editor, Deanna McFadden. She's going to work with you. And I was just like, uh, Okay, okay. And then <laughs> I basically put my nose in my laptop and I came up for air every couple of hours. I knew when to stop, but I had, Mm. I had a deadline and I kind of knew where I was going. It was exciting and scary at the same time, but I had fun with it. And Deanna just kept pushing me and pushing me. And one thing that I really learned from her Mm. was show, don't tell. Mm. And show, don't tell means... I'm cold. No, don't tell me you're cold. Tell me you're cold. Show me you're cold. Show me you're angry. 
shivering, Showing. blanket. Yeah. And I kept like, going, oh, no, no, I'm telling. No, show, show. And I guess I kept getting better and better. And when I was done, like, wow, wow, I did it. So it was, <laughs> it was a great challenge. And I really liked it as painful as it was sometimes. I think it's also been a new thing for you mentioned to work with, you know, a publisher like Rebecca Eckler. And I'm wondering how you connected with her, first of all. And then with Sasha Stoltz, the PR person, like it's like a whole machine now. This is another level of your writing career, right? Yeah. First of all, working with Sasha was so much fun. I've never had that before published. I mean, I worked with uh, Board and Communications for my second book, and that was amazing and fun. But the first one was basically on my own. This one, like I have a team. It's fantastic. It's so much fun. It's just like <laughs> working it together as a team, feeding off ideas off each other. I love working with people. It also makes the process of writing not so lonely because even though it is a solitary project that you work on your own, it's great to send them material. What do you think of this? And to get that feedback. I love that. That's a great tag team project partnership. That's just so much fun. So you asked me how I got to Rebecca. So when I was finished writing the novel, I spoke to a couple of authors who colleagues and friends, and I wanted to know their process. I wanted to get an agent. I want to go the traditional route this time. And so that meant mm -hmm. sitting down and researching agents, the ones in Toronto, the ones in mm -hmm. New York, they're mostly in New York. And I sat down for six months. Those six months was not fun. It was very challenging. It was very disappointing. It's like basically an actor going on acting jobs. So I, I had a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. I went down agent after agent after agent, researched them. Is this a good match? But it was on number 103. And then I found out that Rebecca opened up a shop and I approached her. Yes. And here we are. She was 104. And the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. Well, this reminds me of, what's her name? The author of the Harry Potter. I think she had how many, I don't know what it was, no. but something like Ten. hundreds and hundreds, maybe I a thousand was, rejections. I thought it was 10. 10? She's nothing. Oh my God. Nothing. 10 is nothing. Like really? 103. And then I remember calling a friend who's a writer and I was crying, I'm on 102. This is my phone. And she's like, yeah, <laughs> so keep going till 200. I'm like, okay. So I just kept yeah. going. And I'm very grateful that I have a great husband who's supportive. And he kept saying, keep going, keep going. And I have friends who listen to my woes of pounding the pavement. It just takes <laughs> one. Yes. It just takes one. Fall down seven times, get up the eighth. And it, this is so true. So many people, even Jack Canfield, Chicken Soup for the Soul on this show has said, it's the people that only make it three quarters of the way to the finish line and give up before they get to the finish line that don't make it. You have to keep going and you will get hundreds of rejections. And even in theater, often they say it takes 40 rejections to get your first role. Like that is so true. And it's such a great thing for finding your bliss because people think, oh, it's all easy. But of course it's not easy. Even I was just mentioning to you, we, we just interviewed Bernadette Mora, the editor-in-chief of Fashion Magazine Canada. And she was at the Star for 20 years as a fashion editor. And she talks about the same thing that a lot of people think it's like an overnight sensation, oh. overnight success, but it's tons of work and tons of rejection and tons of pounding the pavement. And the hard work is really the tenant. And that's the one thing I know about you, Sharon, you're a very hard worker. You're very conscientious. You're very organized. And I think all of those things and your patience and your ability to keep going is what's made you successful. So what a great example you are and a shining light for other people out there who might be struggling. So if there's an aspiring writer out there who is struggling on their hundred second rejection or not able to write or having writer's block or having something that's standing in the way of an obstacle, 
what would you say to them? Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break more with author Sharon Nice Arbus with her best advice for aspiring authors. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, and I'm here with the author of The Most Amazing Department Store, Sharon Nice Arbus. And just before the break, I was asking you, Sharon, what your advice is to writers who are struggling with rejection or writer's block. If any writer out there has an obstacle that's standing in their way of their goals, what would you say to them? Oh, keep going. You got this. <laughs> just keep going. And also, you have exactly. to love it. The feeling I get when like, I'm starting something new on a blank page. Age is just that feeling of opportunity and possibility. I love it. So I want to do it. And if I really want to do it that badly, I'm going to make it happen. It's like anything you do. Just to continue on with this theme of actors, for actors who are in the long, a long run of the play, there's often a real feeling of disappointment when the show is over. Did you have a feeling like that when your book was finally finished or was it one of elation? Well, you know, it's interesting. When uh, Rebecca dropped off my box of samples for press, I almost had of like, a, oh, it's really over. Wow. Like it's almost like a, a sad feeling. So I kind of felt that a little bit. And then all these interviews started pouring in and preparation and talking about it. So I'm really enjoying this process too. And of course, I'm always thinking of the next book, the next thing I want to write. So I know that it will happen again. And I'm enjoying this accomplishment right now. And then I will take a break and see what comes up. But I know that another idea will fall into my lap. I know that it will happen because I enjoy the process and I enjoy writing. So it will happen again. But yeah, there's a little bit of sadness. Can you tell our listeners just briefly about the book? What can I've sort of given it some ideas sure. and, and given a little bit of understanding of it. But how would you describe the book, The Most Amazing Department Store? Sure. The Most Amazing Department Store is about two women who face anti-Semitism, sexism, and rejection when they work in a department store in Montreal in the 1940s and 50s. And what did you learn from the characters in your book and how did they begin to take on a life of their own? And I'm going to give you an example. There's a famous sure. poet named Denise Levertov who writes this poem. And, and one of the lines is, two girls discovered a secret in a line of poetry I had written that I never intended to put there. And they just saw something that I hadn't even intended to for them to see or I didn't even see. So did you learn anything from Vivian and Lily and the other characters in the book as sort of it took on a life of its own? Did you discover anything? about yourself or about people? Or did you learn anything from your characters that you created? Well, interesting. Well, from Mr. Sand, who was like, you know, their colleague and almost a father figure, that it's, you know, it's really comforting to have someone 
look over you and to take care of you almost and to have almost be like a father figure and someone who believes in you. And for Vivian, she really enjoyed what she was doing and just to really and to embrace her talents. That's what I learned from Vivian. And Lily, Lily was, you know, the story is loosely based on my grandmother, Lillian. She worked in the shoe department at Simpsons. Although, you know, I don't remember what she was like when she was working in the shoe department. I just tried to make her very stoic and very brave. I kind of created my grandmother again. It's almost like a tribute to her and to her hard work. That's so cool that she did that. That's so, so fascinating. As an aside, I just wanted to say, and you're going to have to read the book, everybody, to know what I am talking about here. This is a bit of a tease, but I really believed in that travel set. And when I read it, I wanted to invest in that travel set myself. So without giving it all away, because I want people to read The Most Amazing Department Store. It's a great book. And that getting ready for the holidays, this is a book you want to bring on a plane or over the holidays, it's a wonderful book to have and to get as a gift for someone else. But what was the travel set a metaphor for? Well, about 15 years ago, maybe it was maybe 12 years ago, I created a family calendar called Deja Vu. Don't know if you remember. And it was a great learning experience. And so I wanted to bring that into the book. So I used it as a cosmetic little package thing. It was a metaphor for the calendar that I created. So, But it's just very compelling in the book. It's a very compelling theme that you follow. And you'll have to read to read more to, to understand that. But I mentioned that it made me cry at the end. And I also wondered why was there a 30 year span that was left out. There were 30 years. I don't want to say what happened in that 30 years that we don't really know about. And we get to the end and something happens after the 30 years and the two women meet again. Was that a conscious decision to just leave out that 30 years that really didn't affect the two characters as friends? Yeah. I wanted to just like have them just experience life almost separately. I hope I'm not giving anything away. Oops. Um, just have some time travel, nothing, and have them come back together. And to bring a granddaughter in to as an extra character to really oh. stir things up. So oh, that was great. I love that character. Thank that you. character was just like you just so, so brave and so what you want, what you wish they all could be in their own way, right? And she finally was this person. The unexpected sometimes surprises you. And also if I might add something, I'm really touched that you cried. And at the end, but I have to share something. So I don't know if any other writer experiences this, but I started crying on one of the scenes and I, I couldn't believe it. it was like, oh my God, I'm crying. <laughs> I couldn't believe this is happening. So it was one of the chapters. It's uh, called That Day. Yes, I remember that chapter. Do you remember that chapter? Yes, I do. I'll just give a, some, um, Lily was being uh, mistreated and that day made me cry. There's something about it. And then just... <sighs> The camaraderie between Vivian and Lily as a result from this harassment and that chapter remained from the original. So that was untouched. And I'm really glad it was. It was very, very powerful. Very long chapter too, but it was pretty intense. It was very powerful. There's also the theme, I was talking about the themes of friendship and anti-Semitism, but there's a very disturbing bullying theme, which also can be, you know, sort of a microcosm for a lot of other things, bullying on the world scale that also I found disturbing. And I thought you handled very, very well about how, I'm not going to give it away, but how 
the character dealt with the bullying in the end, which was so powerful for anyone who's ever been bullied at any age, at any stage, to learn from your book about how to handle it. And I just felt it was wonderful. So as you know, there's a question that we ask at the end of every show, and I'm going to ask it to you again. And that, of course, is what is bliss for Sharon Nice Arbus these days? (laughs) These days? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well, I need a lot of bliss these days to help with coping with what's going on in the world. So um, there's nothing like a good book. So I actually am a member of a book club. And the good thing about a book club is it encourages me to read books that I would not normally pick up. So I'm reading a great book called Tomorrow, Tomorrow and Tomorrow. And I forget the author's name, but it's on like the bestsellers list. So that's what I'm reading now. I love cooking for my family. I'm not the greatest cook, but I make a really good chocolate chip banana muffin. And Rebecca's actually had a couple. My editor has had a couple. I've dropped off to say thank you for just being there for me. And they said they're really good. So I'm liking making easy recipes. And I'm also really enjoying taking care of myself. So I, I always tell my kids and my husband, fill your cup first. Take care of yourself. So I really love working out in the mornings. So I I do that almost every morning. During COVID, I converted my playroom basement because my kids aren't playing there anymore to a home gym. So I have a Peloton, I have some free weights. So I really love that time. And also writer's block really breaks free when I work out. I don't know what it is. Maybe my body is like I'm sweating. And there are times when I'm on the Peloton, oh my God, that's it. I figured it out. And so <laughs> I have to like get off and write it down. But, you know, so I do those three things. That's so great. That's amazing. You know, I, this is going to sound like such a silly question, but it was so poignant and powerful, the lipstick that Vivian wore one of the Revlon colors. So I just wonder when she worked at the Revlon counter at the fictional department store, but it was so powerful that she knew the best lipstick. So what is your favorite lipstick? I have it right here. So I t- stole it from my daughter, Liv. It's um, Summer Friday, and she didn't like the color. And I don't know what color this is, but I really like it. It's vegan. It's delicious. And it's it's really good. Oh, but also uh, tonight at my book launch, Hey Babe Cosmetics has created a lip gloss for Rebecca's publishing house, Rebooks. It's called Read yes. My Lips. So you get one with every book purchase. Oh, yay! Oh my God, I have to come. I have to come. I have to be there. Sure. Is this color that you're talking about red? Is it a red, the one you were just holding? Yeah, it's a red, like coral. It's really nice. Oh, yeah. nice. And also, nice. side notes, in the summer of 1995, I was a summer student at Revlon. <sighs> that is so cool. I think you have to send Revlon a book also. <laughs> I, yeah, it's on my list of things to do. So, <laughs> so I was, you know, I was a PR assistant and I was making baskets and I was writing press releases and I knew about the history of Revlon. So I brought that in because I knew the company pretty well. Final question. What coffee are you drinking these days? We always have our coffee conversation. As you can see, I've got my, my coffee right here. So what is your coffee du jour these days? So I really love Starbucks Gold Coast. Have you tried that? No. It's a dark blend. I love it. It's called Gold Coast. And then I always love Kicking Horse, Bear Claw. 
I think I even dropped off a sample at your house because I'm obsessed with it. So I brew that every morning. My coffee time is my another bliss of mine. I just love it. And what do you put in your coffee? Are you an almond milk, soy milk, half and half cream or skim milk person? Oat milk. I find that really brings out the flavor. Like my daughter. Love nice. oat milk in nice. my coffee. Still something that's just extra creamy and I just love the taste. I encourage everyone to get a copy of this beautiful book. It really is a fabulous read. I read it over a couple of nights and just curled up with it. And it's delightful. The most amazing department store by Sharon Nice Arvis. Sharon, it's been such a delight to have you here today. And I want to ask you, what is the best way for people to contact you? connect with you on social media, and of course, to get a copy of your book. Of course. So let's start with the getting the copy of the book. So it is available on Amazon. It does say December 5th delivery. However, people are getting it now or they got it last week. So Amazon is, they're trickling through Amazon. It is available if you're in Toronto at Type Books. I think all three locations. It's also available at the Indigo online and in store. If you're in the States, Barnes & Noble. And then to connect with me, I have a website, SharonNeeseArbus.com. And on Instagram, I'm SharonNeeseArbus. Twitter, I think Nice Arbus. <laughs> Twitter's a little complicated. <laughs> and on Facebook, <laughs> SharonNeeseArbus. That's awesome. Sharon, it's been so nice to catch up with you. I hope to see you tonight at the book launch. I'm looking very forward to it. Thank you for having me on your show. It's always a pleasure. So much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Up next, we have something very exciting for you. We have some bonus footage from our interview last week with Fashion Magazine's editor-in-chief, Bernadette Mora, with a behind-the-scenes glimpse into some of Bernadette's conversations with supermodel Linda Evangelista and the celebrated designers Izzy Miyahi, Mark Jacobs and Victoria Beckham. Bernadette Moore, for any of you who didn't tune in to last week's show, was the fashion editor at the Toronto Star for 20 years. And she's now the editor-in-chief at the newly revamped Fashion Magazine Canada, which is really Canada's foremost fashion magazine. Bernadette has led the transformation of fashion from a traditional women's magazine to a brand for all ages, genders, ethnicities, sizes, and orientations. So back with us again, Here's a continuation of our conversation with the fabulous one and only Bernadette Mora. Bernadette, we are in the midst of talking about Linda Evangelista's inspiring appearance at the Bloom Appell Theatre in conversation with media icon Jeannie Becker. And I think you said it perfectly when you described how modeling became an art form for Linda. How is modeling different then? than it is now. In those days, there was no digital. You didn't, you weren't able to correct things like just shoot, 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 shoot like crazy and then correct everything else in post. Everything had to be perfect on set and that took a huge amount of time. And that's something that just that slow process of creating a photograph is something that doesn't exist today. Well, as you know, everybody has an iPhone, everybody is a photographer, everybody is a model. <laughs> and so sharing information is one thing, but creating in real time a perfect photograph on film is something that I know that she holds in very, very high regard and something that she's been able to really highlight as an achievement and something that should be really respected in both the photography world and in the fashion world. So it's just been, for me, it's been really interesting to see how she has 
taken modeling really to a new level. I mean, a level that very, very few people really understand and very few people take the time to achieve. I think you said it so beautifully when you said it's become an art form. It's like an art form with her. And I've also heard it described about her that she's somewhat of a chameleon and she just does whatever the photographer wants her to do and becomes whatever you know, he or she wants her to become. Would you agree with that? Yes. And and yet it's so ironic that she's had these health challenges that have changed her body. She tried to attempt this non-cosmetic procedure that also ended up altering her body. So she's here as someone who has made her career and made her art form and her tool is her body. And yet these challenges have come along. Fate has come along and altered that tool. And I can't even imagine the psychological adjustment that would have to go along with that. Because I thank God, knock on wood, I've not had any of those experiences myself. But I appreciate hearing from people who have and how difficult it is emotionally and psychologically to deal with these body changes that are thrust upon you. But then to have that happen to the instrument that is your way of earning money or your creative expression, how do you deal with that? I have a lot of respect for what Linda has withstood and gone through these last few years. And I think she's always had a kind of a self-deprecating sense of humor. She's always had a great sense of humor. And I think that that really came through in the talk that she had with Jeannie live here in Toronto on October 28th, uh, that she has a sense of humor about things. And as we know, humor can get us through a lot. One of the people that I know you had a very heartfelt interviews with and feeling about was Izzy Miyahi. Can you speak about him? What an incredible man. I mean, he had survived the bombing of Hiroshima when he was a little boy. Um, he was riding his bicycle and terrible horrors. And I interviewed him in Paris in his office in one corner of the beautiful Place des Vosges in Le Marais. And he was launching his perfume. And he was one of the happiest people I had ever met. His eyes literally sparkled when you spoke to him. And he was so soft-spoken and so lovely. And I thought, gosh, you know, uh, he's and he was left with an injury, a lifelong injury from the bombing. He walked with a limp. And I don't know, you know, what other scars there might be, maybe seen or unseen scars. Here's a person who's really suffered and could be so bitter and angry. And yet he is just the happiest person I had ever met. And you know, there's a lot of snooty fashion designers. There's a lot of arrogance in that world. And he had none of it. He was so genuine and lovely and brilliant, brilliant designer. And that really, really impressed me. I know you've also interviewed the acclaimed designer, Mark Jacobs. Can you tell us a little bit more about him? Wow. Mark, I interviewed when he, after, before the infamous grunge collection, that he did for Perry Ellis, which just sort of turned the fashion world upside down. That was one of those moments where there was this horrific reaction because Mark had put sort of plaid, so like sloppy, grungy plaid and ill-fitting clothing and these long knit caps 
on the runway. This was stuff that you would see like Kurt Cobain and other grunge musicians wearing, and he put it on the high fashion runway and charged a lot of money for it. And Mark's a really interesting guy. He's very, very creative and also very plugged into the world around him and what's going on in the music scene, what's going on in film, what's going on in art. So he was a designer who really kind of soaked up everything that went on around him and then spit it out onto the runway. And, um, you know, he's he but a tortured soul. And I think that that has to some degree, is to some degree why we are um, maybe not hearing as much from him as some other designers that go on to have long careers. He's still working. He still has his own collection and he has his products, Mark Jacobs bags that seem to do very well. But I miss having him sort of as a regular voice. There was a time when he was designing for other brands, like he did Louis Vuitton for a time. He really started the fashion world on the path of putting a designer in charge of a brand to reignite it. We've seen that happen many, many times with other brands, but it was Mark going to Mark Jacobs. Sorry, Mark Jacobs going to Louis Vuitton. Yes. That really, really started that whole trend that has carried on right to this day. Very talented guy. We have a picture of, of you and this person, and that's Victoria Beckham. Oh, wow. Well, tell us about Victoria Beckham. I was interviewing her at Holt Renfrew in Vancouver, and there was a crowd that was gathered to meet her on the main floor. And then the rest of us were upstairs and we were due to have a lunch with her. They had clients and a small group of media. And she forgot her passport when she flew in from, I guess she was flying in from LA. She forgot her passport. She was on a private jet. They wouldn't let her off the jet. Not exactly. There were all kinds of stories about what actually happened to get her to Holtz, but she arrived late. She was extremely apologetic, very charming. And that was actually the second time I interviewed her. The first time I interviewed her, she had just launched, I think it was a denim line. I think she started with denim and that was at Holtz in Toronto. And I remember her saying, I know I have a challenge I know people look at me like a singer and I'm going to have a hard time convincing them that I'm a fashion designer, but I am, and I want to prove it to people. She was extremely determined, but very, very lovely. Both times I met her, she was very lovely, very, very professional, except for forgetting the passport. Bernadette, I'd love to talk to you briefly about what it's like being on set. I saw a video of you arriving at a fashion shoot and you had a makeup station set up in one corner and this glamorous hair station set up in another, a gorgeous rack of clothes set up somewhere else and jewelry, shoes and accessories set up in another corner of the room. And you're like the maestro of all of this. You're the conductor of the whole orchestra. Where do you begin? Can you just take us briefly through what happens when you arrive at a fashion shoot? You're like the conductor of the symphony orchestra. Well, so yes and no. I mean, if these days I'm rarely on set for a shoot and it would be the creative director and or the stylist who's on the job, who is really the maestro of what's going on. I more set the tone and the requirements of what needs to happen from a bigger picture perspective. And we talk about what's going to happen at the shoots. 
beforehand. And then it's, I hopefully get back what was discussed. However, if I am on set at a shoot, my job, my role then is usually just to do an interview. So I will step back and I will put my two cents in here and there for sure. But I usually try to step back and let the creative unfold as as long as it's with what the expectations are. I won't interfere too much. But my then my job is to to get the interview, which either will happen sort of in chunks throughout the day or in one sit down in the middle. And I'm also there to sort of capture the color of what's going on. But there's no doubt that it is fun to see what unfolds. I mean, if there's pressure too, because you have, especially if it's a cover person, you only have them for a very limited time. And they usually have a handler there with them who's looking at their watch going, hey, we have to get out of here in like an hour or whatever it is. It's a fun part of the job. It must be thrilling to do all of it from the travel to the backstage, to the catwalks, the interviews with all the supermodels and celebrities and to the fashion shoots themselves. I think that really shines through in all of what you do, that you really enjoy the work. I'd like to thank you, Bernadette, for an absolutely wonderful conversation. If you'd like to hear more about Bernadette Mora, the supermodels she's interviewed, her life and career, and especially what Bernadette's bliss is, I encourage you all to listen to the full part one of her episode on finding your bliss. And you can get that at findingyourbliss.com slash radio or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. We're going to go on a short commercial break. When we come back, very talented Lily Liebrach will be singing a beautiful rendition of the prayer that she sang this past summer at the Lulingiana Music Festival in Tuscany, Italy. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're now joined by talented singer and musical theater performer Lily Liebrach, who will be singing her rendition of The Prayer, which she performed live at the Luningiana Music Festival in Tuscany, Italy, this past July. But before we hear Lily sing, let me tell you a little bit more about her. Lily Liebrach is a singer, actor, dancer, creator, and adjunct professor of voice at NYU. She is in her final year of her Master's of Music in Vocal Performance, Musical Theater, and an Advanced Certificate in Vocal Pedagogy. She is also a proud graduate of Sheridan College's Musical Theater Program, where she starred as Lillian Holiday in Veal and Breck's Happy End. Lily was also named a Top 10 finalist of Mervish's Worldwide Show Tune Idols competition. This past summer, Lily made her producing, directing, and performing debut at 54 Below in New York City, and she has since produced and performed at various venues in New York, such as The Cutting Room, 
Green Room 42, as well as being part of a very exciting show called Songs for Shalom with many Broadway stars in New York City. So without further ado, here is Lily Liebrach singing The Prayer, written by David Foster, Carol Bayer Sager, Alberto Testa, and Tony Rennes, and made famous by Andrea Bocelli.
could listen to that over and over again and I'll never forget that night in July at that wonderful venue in Italy listening to that song live that was beautiful thanks Lily for that I would like to thank our wonderful guests Sharon Nice Arbus Bernadette Mora and Lily Liebrach for being on the show today also thank you to Mag Ruffman Siobhan Kiley producer Olivia Weatherall audio engineer Juliana Yanitsiello senior editor Lauren Kaminsky video editor Sierra Brown Rodriguez audio producer Faz Kazi and everyone here at Zoomer and of course a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.